Just a moment, we'll dismiss young people though, right at this time, the days are working with them in the upper room, so young people can head on out for time in the Word. As they're doing that, I want to remind you that our focus and goal and missions is what? To get the Word to the world, okay? So I want you to be thinking about that. In fact, let's say it to get it, to get the Word to the world. All right, we're going to try it again, to get the Word to the world, okay, and uh, in order to do that, uh, we have got to be committed to doing what God has called us to do, and we know very well uh, where the commission is given, the book of Matthew, book of Mark, both of those give us very clearly the commission, actually all four of the Gospels do mention it, Matthew 28 says, and Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. And the book closes with the word, Amen. So be it. We need God's help to get the word to the world. And that passage would be one we could preach on, but we're not going to this morning. Although it is one that uh, is worthy uh, and often is mentioned around uh, uh, missions conferences and, and sometimes even maybe even in revivals, but prom primarily around missions conferences, it's one of the many scriptures that uh, teach us the great task before us of getting the word to the world. But I think, personally, there seems to be no better passage in scripture teaching the vital importance of getting the word to the world than Romans chapter 10. So turn there, if you would, Romans chapter 10, and follow along as I read a few verses in, in that uh, passage that are very, very well known. Romans chapter 10, where God uh, encourages us and God challenges us with this thought, starting in verse 14. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah saith, Lord, who hath believed our report? So then, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Getting the word to the world is the job of God's people. It's my prayer that you'll be challenged by that thought today. Let's pray. Father, please open our hearts, open our minds to the truth of your word. I pray that uh, today, as we think about the subject of missions and the great need before us, that today, uh, you would help us to clearly understand your word better and may it challenge us. And I, I, I do pray that your spirit would have the freedom to work in hearts, uh, that there would be people who would, who would say, your will be done. There would be people who would decide today that they're going to be about this task of getting the word to the world, that they would be consecrated to God, that they would give their lives to you. That's my prayer. I, I need your help, I need your power, I need your strength and wisdom, and Lord God, your spirit just needs to work today in our midst, and I, and I pray that you would be able to do that, in Jesus' name.
Amen. A preacher told this story. He said, in all the years of visiting people in hospitals and nursing homes as a pastor, I never had a total, total stranger do to me what happened recently. The woman repeatedly bopped me in the face with a balloon and asked me each time, are you mad yet? Why are you mad? Are you mad now? Why are you mad? I, I had been in the hallway of a nursing home talking, laughing, and exchanging truths with God with a hundred-year-old Christian lady that I was asked to visit. She was the grandmother of a friend. When the balloon lady with severe dementia rolled in in her wheelchair and began bopping me in the face with a little red balloon and asking that question, are you mad yet? When I said, no, ma'am, as I held out my arm, by the way, so she wouldn't hit the lady I was speaking with, who happened to be Mrs. Ruth, said the lady uh, continued to do it anyway. And she would persist asking, why are you mad? Well, it took a couple minutes for some of the workers to notice what was going on. They came over and they wheeled the lady with the balloon to another part of the room. They apologized to, my, apologized to me several times while they lovingly and patiently explained to the resident that the nice young man might not want to be bopped in the face with a balloon. He went on. As she was wheeled away, I realized something had happened. And I was trying to have a conversation with a lady, but I had been terribly distracted by something else. Here I was visiting this wonderful Christian lady. The purpose of my visit had been to be a blessing to her as well, just to get to meet her a little bit and enjoy her company and encourage her. But I had been affected terribly by what was going on. They said, you know, one of the things that was kind of awesome to me, he said, Mrs. Ruth, this sweet 100-year-old Christian woman, didn't skip a beat while all this was going on. She just kept talking with me. And she kept talking to me about how good God had been and what God had been doing in her life and, and the joy that she had serving the Lord in the past and the joy she had even trying to be a blessing to those in the nursing home in which she was. And the preacher then said, this episode made me think about how easy and quite common it is for Christians to get distracted by the balloon boppers of this world. Many times we can get so bothered by crazy events happening around us in our wayward culture that we forget our primary purpose. Our primary purpose as believers is to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. A 100-year-old lady reminded me without even knowing it that I needed to keep my focus on Jesus Christ, that I needed to faithfully shine his light light and keep making disciples no matter what distractions the world may bop me with so he said thank you mrs ruth for this important reminder and quite honestly i think we all need that what an appropriate lesson learned and one that certainly is needed in a day in which uh, covid and uh, a government run awry and many other issues and troubles of life can quickly take control of our existence and distract us. Distract us from what's most important. Balloons, which bop us daily with concerns and keep our attention away from the greatest concern that ought to be in our life. And that is getting the word to the world. Paul talks about there here in Romans chapter 10. 
You know these verses. You've heard them before. And I'm not even going to preach on them today. We read them, and you're familiar with them. But I would like to take a look at the verses which preceded and challenge you with the, the thought that came to my mind. Because as I read through this passage, it's a tremendous passage teaching about the matter of salvation, how someone comes to faith in Jesus Christ. But it's written, if you notice the first word of, verse, of, of chapter 10, it's written to Christians, brethren, those who are part of the family of God. And he says to Christians, hey, look, there's some things I want you to know, some things I want to share with you. And he actually started that in chapters 9, and he'll continue all the way through chapter 11, sharing a number of things that believers needed to know. Now, he primarily is focusing, and just kind of help you to get on the same page with me, uh, kind of get a picture of what's transpiring. He's writing to the church at Rome, which is made up of primarily Gentile believers. And in these three chapters of Romans 9, 10, and 11, he explains to Christians some very deep and wonderful truths about how God has opened up salvation to the Gentile world and allowed them to be grafted into the tree. You could read about that in other chapters, but you're not going to do that this morning, okay? You're going to pay attention to what we're looking at in Romans chapter 10. But uh, you could learn all about those wonderful truths. The wonderful plan of salvation designed before the world began, would offer salvation. And this was the plan, not only to the Jewish world, which is what the Jews thought at the beginning and at least believed to be true, but it was going to be offered to all mankind and all men would be able to be saved. In chapters 9, 10, and 11, though, Paul is, is helping them understand what's going on with the Jews. And he's explaining to them how, hey, look, God has opened the door of salvation for you, and he said, the Jew and the, the Jew has already, if you would, rejected Jesus Christ, but they still need the gospel. Do you see that in verse 1? Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. But the truth is, what he explains about the Jewish world and, and the fact that they were lost is the same truth that applies to all people. He is going to clearly explain in these verses and then come to that conclusion in verse 17, if you would, that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God and people need to be informed and they need to hear the word if they're ever going to come to faith in Jesus Christ because it's in the word of God where the answers of God are found. But you know, as I was reading through this passage and I actually came across that story, I, I realized something and, I, and it came to mind about Paul. Paul was not distracted you realize that? Paul was not distracted in sharing the gospel. If you were to go back in the book of Acts and read about from the moment of his salvation and on through, you'll see a guy who was committed to missions. He was a missionary, if you would, and you could call him anything else you wanted to call him. You could call him a pastor. You could call him a church planter. You could call him a lot of different things. Uh, well, people called him a lot of bad things too, but you could call him a lot of good things. But Paul clearly understood that this is the job of every Christian and his responsibility, and he didn't allow things to distract him. And as I was reading through this passage, I, I saw a number of things that he shared that I think helped him to have that focus, if you would, and have the kind of, uh, the kind of ministry of life that was effective at doing this job of getting the word to the world. And I would like to share with you a number of things that might, if you would, distract us if we don't keep them in mind if we don't think about them. Because in this beautiful passage, a, a, a really valuable passage in the Word of God, 
Paul shares with us uh, what salvation is all about in the great need of mankind. And he also, I think, in a, in a sense, shares with us things that can distract us. So let me read the first 13 verses. Because I said I'm not going to preach verses 14 to 17. And let's kind of get an idea of what's happening in this passage up to that point. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. For Moses describeth the righteousness which is of the law, that the man which doeth those things shall live by them. But the righteousness which is of faith speaketh on this wise, Say not in thine heart who shall ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down from above. Or who shall descend into the deep, that is to bring up Christ again from the dead. But what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart, that is the word of faith which we preach. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, isn't that a wonderful truth? You know, the same Lord over all is rich to all that call on him. I love the end of that verse because it's so true that whether Jew or Gentile, doesn't matter what nationality you are, it doesn't matter what, what, what wealth you have, it doesn't matter what kind of person you are, it doesn't matter the height of your, your height your, or your talents or anything else, doesn't matter how you look, doesn't matter the color of your skin, uh, God is rich unto all that call upon him and he's more than willing to save all mankind. But the truth is, they can't be saved unless they hear, unless someone gets the word to them. So as we have read these verses, I want you to think about it and ask yourself the question, have you been distracted? Have you been distracted from sharing the gospel? Have you been distracted? Has the balloon been hitting you in the face and keeping you, if you would, because of all the things going on in life? from being involved in this all-important task. Well, how does that happen, and how does it take place? Well, again, we've said that Paul had drive, and he was one who was focused. So what are some of the things he shares with us in this passage? First, if you would, I'll put it this way. We'll call it distraction number one. One distraction that can keep us from being the witness and sharing with Jesus Christ, sharing people with people their need for Jesus Christ, is we stop seeing men as lost. Notice what he said right at the end of verse 1. He said, my prayer to God for Israel is what? That they might be saved. Now, I know we don't forget the fact that people need to be saved. I mean, how can you forget that? But the truth is, we can go through life and we cannot see people as needing Jesus Christ. Isn't that true? 
Look, we can go about our business and we can get so involved in the things. You know, I got to go shopping today and I got to take care of getting all the groceries because we got people coming over this weekend and man, I got a lot of things that I need to get ready and I got a house that I got to get cared for. And so we can run to the grocery store and we can get all these groceries. And by the way, that wouldn't be me. That would be my wife saying that. You do understand that, right? Okay. Got all sorts of things to get done. All I have to do is invite someone and show up, you know? My wife does all the work and getting everything ready as far as the house is concerned. But anyway, if it'd be my wife, she can go out and she could be involved in, hey, I got to take care of getting all these groceries and I got to get care of that, go here and I got to take care of this and that and not see that the people she's around and come in, she comes in contact with are lost and needing a savior. You know, Paul, as he went through life, it was very clear that one of the things that he kept focused in his mind, and it's, it never seemed to distract him, was that all men are lost. And he understood that truth. And lost people need to be saved. Now, he declares that fact in verse 1. I, I, my prayer for Israel is that they might come to faith in Christ, that they might be saved. And then in verses 9 to 13, when he deals with the matter of salvation and shares, if you would, how someone comes to, to salvation and becomes part of the family of God, he says, clearly, look, men need salvation. For with the heart, verse 10 says, man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Here, here's the thing. No one's going to call in the name of the Lord if you and I don't pay attention to the fact that there are people around us who don't know the Lord. If we're distracted by the things that are going on in our life and the things that, that can keep us away from the, the, the great task of sharing the gospel and getting the word to the world. Look, isn't it easy, think about this, to walk through life seeing crazily dressed people and boy, I could give you a lot of examples of that. Or angry people, or sad people, or vile people, or very strange people. Because you see those in, in every place that you go. And not see that many of those sad, crazy, vile people are lost. It's easy to walk away saying, Whoa, did you see that hairdo? And not think once. Those people need Christ. Isn't that true? And I wonder if sometimes we don't do this, this task, this job, this wonderful privilege God has given to us sharing the gospel we don't do it because although we know the truth all men are lost we just never see it we get so busy with life we get distracted by the balloon that's beating us on, on the face that, that we miss the opportunities that are afforded to us every day come on I, I, I'm, I'm preaching this and saying this is what you need, but quite honestly, I know that that's what I need. Because sometimes it's easy to, to sit in the office and prepare a message on Romans chapter 10, the importance of sharing the gospel with people and getting the word to the world. Someone can bring a package to this place, and I can be interested in thinking only about the package that I got that finally came in. that didn't come in this week that I wanted to come in, you know. 
and I can be thinking about that and not about the fact that the, the man or the woman who brought that package may be unsaved. And it's possible that no one has ever told them about Jesus Christ. You say, around here? Yeah. And if they already know about Jesus Christ, there's a good chance that they're in a church that doesn't preach the gospel because there's a lot of them. And so I ask you this morning to, to think about it yourself and ask, you the question, ask yourself this question. Do I see people who are lost? When's the last time I, I actually have been attentive to the fact that the, the, the lady who's serving my table at lunch today may go into eternity this week. And if she doesn't know Jesus Christ, she's going to spend an eternity in hell. And I have the answer. And it, it could be as simple as just taking a, a track and carrying it with me and, and handing it to her or putting it on the table with the tip and getting the world, the word to the world. It needs to hear. But here's the truth. If I don't see lost people, if all I see are people serving me or people taking care of this or my busyness and the things I've got to do, then I will not get the word to the world. And I'll miss out on opportunities that God wants me to take advantage of. Look, wasn't that the passion of Paul? You think about it. This, it's no wonder he said, my prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. Because you know what his prayer for the Gentile world was? That they might be saved. Because he was a minister of God to the Gentiles. And he was focused on that. But he also was focused on the Jewish world. He wanted all men to come to Jesus Christ. I mean, you say, okay, how committed was he? All right, think about this. Why, why would Paul for any reason, stay in a prison cell after an earthquake has freed him. I mean, what would you do if you had been unjustly beaten and put in prison, chained there, and then all of a sudden, in the middle of the night, the chains fall off, an earthquake comes, the doors are open, and you have a chance to run. Okay, who here wouldn't run? Yeah, my hand shouldn't be up. I'm out of there, man. I'm thinking, this is my chance. Look at what the Lord is doing. And by the way, that's how we all Christians would justify it, you know? Well, look at what the Lord has done. Praise the Lord, he opened the door. I'm out of here. And yet Paul stands there and, and, and he tells a guy who had treated him wrong that night not to kill himself. I don't know. In some way, I might have been there kind of saying, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Can I help? <laughs> okay, you say, <laughs> I, you, you know, you're saying it all the time. Man, our pastor is rotten. He's just horrible. I, but, you know, I can, I, can see someone, I can see someone doing that, but not saying, don't take your life. And when the guy comes and falls before him, when he could have rebuked him, he could have said all sorts of things about how nasty he had been to him. <laughs> he, and the man says, what must I do to be saved? 
Paul said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And it could only be because he realized and his thought was on, this guy's unsaved. Seriously, how, how many of you would have been thinking that way? Let's be honest. Seriously, if you're not thinking running, and, and if you're compassionate enough to say, hey, don't take your life, are, are you going to be focused on the fact that this man's lost and he needs Jesus Christ? And, and what happened as a result of that? So one distraction is sometimes we just don't see people as lost. And we go about our life and our things and go our own way. And we don't realize or we, we, real, we know it to be true, but we're never thinking these people may be lost and need Jesus Christ. But let me share another distraction. If you look at our passage, he said this in verse 2, and this is interesting to me, for I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. So he's talking about the Jews here, and he says this, you know what? They have a zeal for God. Distraction number two I put down is, we erroneously believe religious people are already saved. And I want you to think this one through, because I've been guilty of it as well. You know, today, there's a lot of people in our area Although there's not as many, because a lot of people are moving in. California, you know, and places like that. Okay. And I understand why they want to leave. Anyway, uh, boy, that gets on another subject for another time. Okay. Because uh, <laughs> that's the big joke, isn't it, Brother Okay. All right. But, but you know, a lot of times uh, people get, boy, I got distracted. <laughs> Thanks a lot. It was all your fault. I looked at you and I got distracted just, just right there. Okay. But here's a lot of times we can, we can, um, and let me get back and let me take a look at this. All right. But uh, uh, we can take it there. Thank you very much. That religious people are already say that they're already part of the family of God. So look, so-and-so goes to such and such a church. A lot of people know the language. That's what I was trying to say in our area. Okay. They already have the, the language. Now, maybe some of the newer folks don't, but Boy, growing up in the Bible Belt, they've been in church. And you know it's easy to ask people, well, have you been saved? And, and you know what the answer is going to be? Yeah, sure. We've asked our neighbor that question. Um, our neighbors are sweet folks. They are, they are wonderful folks. They've been very good neighbors, and I'm thankful for that. God's given us some, some great neighbors all around. Our neighbors have said that they're saved. Uh, do you know, I, and I'm not positive about this because we leave early, if you don't know that, usually on Sundays. But as best I know, they have never gone to church ever, but they're Christians. And here's what's so easy to assume when you talk to people that know the language. Well, yeah, they go, well, where do you go to church? Well, we go to such and such a church. We go to the church of the city. And rather than ever question people further, we just kind of assume, well, they're part of the family of God. Yeah, they're saved. And maybe we would say, well, our neighbor goes, goes to church all the time. And, and so, you know, they talk like we do. But do you realize that every Jew was religious? I mean, there were very, very few Jews at all that weren't zealous in their Christian life, in their, in their life, I'm sorry, toward God. Paul was, when his name was Saul, was he saved? You would have not thought anyone was more religious than Saul. 
No one. Yeah. He, you could put him up. You could put him as a standard for any Christian, and Saul would have looked the part and played the part, and everyone would have thought, this man has a relationship with God, but he was lost. And he said this, I bear record of, of the Jews. I haven't lost sight of this fact. They need to be saved. And I know that they have a zeal for God because I have that kind of zeal for God, but they are lost and they still need Jesus Christ. And one of the things that is very easy in Christianity, and it is very easy, I think, especially in the area in which we live, and it's, I think, a distraction, is that because people know the language, we assume that they are saved and we never ask further questions to say, how do you know that? The question, if you were to die today, do you know for sure that you go to heaven? How? And you know what I find amazing is even Christians in churches like ours in some places can't even delineate how, they came to, how they're saved. And can't share clearly the fact that they were a sinner, that they realized at some point in time that Jesus Christ died for their sins and they put their faith in Jesus Christ and Christ alone to save them. Look, just because someone goes to church doesn't mean they're saved. Just because someone goes to a good church doesn't mean that they're saved. And one of the distractions, one of the balloons that sometimes can keep us from being a witness for Jesus Christ is, and, and probably more in this area than many other areas of, of our country, is the fact that people have a zeal for God but we forget that zeal for God doesn't save anyone. Religious actions don't save anyone. Religious deeds don't save anyone. Going to church every week doesn't save anyone. Giving your life in service to people doesn't save anyone. It's faith in Jesus Christ alone. And we can't lose sight of that fact. So religious people aren't necessarily saved. And that can be a distraction that needs, we need to, if you would, push through so that we might get the word to the world around us. Because, because there are people who are lost, who are religious, who need the gospel you have. The third distraction is that we lose sight of the fact that all men are in darkness. And I know this may sound a little bit like that, but look at verse 3. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. Men are ignorant. You expected me to say that today, didn't you? And now I'm not talking about government officials either, okay? That sounds like a terrible thing to say. But that's what Paul said about the Jews. Now, he didn't say it in a, in a way to be demeaning of them, but it's a problem that sometimes distracts Christians from witness. At verse 3, Paul speaks of their ignorance. And what is the problem? What are they ignorant of? This is an amazing thing. They're not ignorant necessarily of the fact that Jesus saves. In fact, quite honestly, most people you talk with in this area or a great number of the people you talk with in this area can tell you about Jesus Christ. They know a lot of things about Jesus Christ. They may even know that Jesus Christ came to save them. But many people have never come to the place where they realize that there is a righteous God and without Jesus Christ, they have no hope. 
And one of the problems and one of the things that can distract us is, is we get this idea, well, you know what? People maybe really aren't all that bad. But do you know what people do? You know what human beings do? They do that very thing. Well, I'm not that bad. God would never send me to hell. Why, why would God do that? Why would a loving God ever do that to anyone? And the truth is, I know I'm not a perfect person, but I'm better than... <laughs> and, oh, wow, you see our neighbors? We're better than them. And certainly God would allow us to go to heaven. We lose sight of the fact that all men are in darkness. It says they're, in, they're, they're ignorant of God's righteousness. What does that mean? There, there's two possibilities, I think. It seems like the first would be that they truly don't understand the holiness of God, that a holy God demands that sin must be punished and demands that people pay for their sin for an eternity in hell, the lake of fire. I think the second, if you would, focus, um, or the second problem is that the standard is the standard of their own imagination. In other words, okay, here's what I think about God, and I measure up. I'm not perfect, but I measure up. I'm good enough. That's what he said. They are ignorant of God's righteousness, and they go about to establish their own righteousness. And as a result, they haven't submitted themselves under the righteousness of God. They haven't said, God, you are holy. I'm a sinner. I can't do anything to get to heaven on my own. I believe in Jesus Christ, and I'm trusting him. That's what's needed. But part of the problem is men, men are self-deceived. They're ignorant of the fact that there is a holy God that will and must because he's just punish sin. And that God will not tolerate any other way of salvation than faith in his son. No other way. And because they don't understand that, because they don't know that, because they don't understand their desperate condition, they justify themselves and say, hey, look, here's my righteousness. I think I'm fine. I think I'm doing enough. You might even hear someone say that if you talk to them about, well, do you really know for sure you're saved? I'm fine. You don't need to talk to me about that. They're like someone driving down the road where the bridge has been washed away by a flood just around the corner, and they have no idea that it's washed away. And unless someone gets in their way and convinces them, there's impending danger, stop. They're going to keep going that way, and they're going to say, we're fine. But they're going to find out when they get around the corner. They're not. There's a point to be made that people will rarely ever ask how to be saved. And the reason why is because they don't think they need it. Mosh Rosen was a Jewish young man. He came to faith in Jesus Christ, and God changed his life. Changed his life to the point where his family, because they were Jewish, denounced him, rejected him, and said, in essence, you are no longer part of our family. Well, he was asked to speak to some young people, and he decided to challenge them about vocally sharing the good news of the gospel. And there was a reason why he shared that message, because of his personal experience. Here's what he said. He said, my own parents disowned me because I converted from Judaism to Christianity. After hearing of 
my conversion, my father said to me, you are never to mention Christ, the Bible, or your religion to your mother or me or to any of the family. He said, a well-meaning deacon in my church told me to honor their wishes and become a silent witness for Jesus Christ. He told me at the time that there would be a time they'd come when they'd ask about my faith because, well, I was living it and I was a silent witness. This sounded like good advice, uh, like it was consistent with what the Bible says about honoring your parents. So he accepted his father's terms and he was reconciled with the family. Year after year went by, he kept his promise. 17 years later, his mother died. 10 years after that, his father passed away. And then he said these words to the teenagers. They never asked. They never asked. And the reason they didn't is because they had the same problem that every human being has. So we just, they justify themselves and think, I'm fine. And they come up with an, their own standard of righteousness. And sometimes it's easy for Christians to get distracted by that and forget that people have got to hear that there is a holy God who punishes sin. And that man is a wicked sinner and can do nothing about his sin. And there is no hope unless someone pays the price for their sin. Distraction number four. It somehow doesn't register that we have the only answer for mankind. Look, look at verse four. For, I love this. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. Say, what is he saying there? Well, he's, again, referring to and referencing the Jew. But quite honestly, these things apply to all mankind. But he's saying this. He said, look, the, the Jew, they set their own standard, and their standard was follow the law of God. And by the way, they had some 400 rules, the Pharisees did, that you need to follow in order to please this God. And they established their own righteousness. That, that, that makes sense? Okay, well then, what he's saying in this next verse is, look, Christ is the end of that. Christ abolishes that. It, he destroys that. It's the end of the law. It's not you got to do this, you got to do this, you got to do this, because you can't do that. Christ came to take care of your sin debt, to resolve the problem. He is the answer. He is the only answer, and there is no other way. There is no other way. You people at Baptist Church think you're the ones that have the right answer. And you know, somehow we've been shamed to believe that maybe they're right. Now, Baptists aren't the only ones who have the right answer. It's people who believe the Bible who have the right answer. And maybe because the world has shamed us so many times by saying, you think you're the only one who has the right answer, and why are you condemning everyone else? And we forget that everyone else is condemned by God, not by us. And that there is only one right answer. There is only one hope, people. It's Jesus Christ. 
And without Jesus Christ, there is no hope. I, I am not trusting the fact that I've been in church all my life. Because if I am, I'm not saved. I'm not trusting the fact that I was baptized when I was 12 because, look, baptism has never saved anyone. It's Jesus Christ. He is the end of the law. He is the answer to the law. I don't measure up. Jesus Christ took care of my sin debt, and that is the only hope that man has. And he talks about the fact that Moses described the righteousness which is of the law, that a man which doeth those things shall live by them. And ultimately, he's saying the same thing he said earlier in this book. No way it measures up. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And because all have sinned, they deserve wrath and judgment from God. And I love verse 8, but what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the word of faith. What is it? Faith in Jesus Christ. I can't save myself. Only Jesus can save me. And sometimes, in some ways, we get distracted. And distraction number four, somehow it doesn't register. We've got the only answer. Look, this, this is the only answer. This is it. There is no other way. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. And verse 9 was clear about that. If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, not if you live a good life, not if you've been baptized, not if you've done a whole bunch of good things, good deeds in your life, then if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, shall believe in thine heart that God hath raised her from the dead, thou shalt be saved. There's only one answer, and you have it if you're part of the family of God. And there is no other answer. So that the faith of, of the Mormon church does not save, cannot save, will never save because they don't believe what the Bible says about Jesus. The faith of Jehovah's Witnesses will not save because they don't worship the Jehovah the Bible. The Jehovah the Bible, part of, a part of that is the Godhead is Jesus Christ and they don't accept that fact. And that has to be accepted. Look, uh, the God of, of the Muslims is not the, Gala is not the God of the Bible. And we need to understand, we're the only ones that have the answer. Those who have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. The only answer for mankind. Look, you're sitting in math class, the teacher asks the questions, what's, what's two plus two? You're in college. These days, you've got to be in college to get that one. And one student raises his hand and says, five, and the teacher nods affirmatively. And another raises their hands, I think the answer is 13, and the teacher agrees. New math is an amazing thing, by the way. You attended a Christian school, and you know two plus two is three. I'm sorry, four. Do you speak up? Well, they all had good answers. People, there's only one right answer. Okay? It doesn't matter how good someone's answer sounds. There's only one right answer to how is a man saved. And it's, it's possible that we could get distracted from sharing the gospel because maybe we've been shamed or maybe because we've, we just don't keep it fresh in our mind that if we don't tell them, who will? 
if they're already self-deceived and no one takes the time to tell them they're lost and that Jesus is the only answer, they will never, ever, ever come to that conclusion on their own. Verse 17 tells us that. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The word has the answer. Faith in Jesus Christ alone. We have that answer. But we've gotten distracted. They say, well, pastor, you're getting to the text that you, you said you were going to preach on. That's right, because I want to share with you two other distractions. But they're actually at the beginning of this chapter, and they were a great challenge to me. Let me share them real quickly. Distraction number five. And you won't like this one because I didn't. Our heart has grown cold. He said, brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. If you go back to chapter 9 and you look in verse 2, verse 1, I say the truth in Christ, I lie not, my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost. I'm telling you the honest truth and the Holy Spirit is bearing witness with me about this very fact. He said, I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart for I could wish that myself were a curse from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. There are a lot of things to be said in this passage that are important for us to learn, but Paul explains, I think, why he preached the word of faith in verse 8 and why he took time to spread the gospel, and it's this, because, because his heart drove him to do it. Because he had a heart. I said, there's no other way but Jesus Christ. They're about people. Why did he put his life on the line to give the good news? Why did he risk ridicule and prison time to go to with many in, in the gospel? I, again, I have to say, his heart drove him. And one of many distractions in sharing the gospel is a heart that's grown cold. And so I ask you, with all sincerity, are you actively sharing the gospel with people? And if not, what's distracted you? Is it a heart problem? Have you stopped caring? Have you, have you stopped really caring that maybe the person you say hello to every day as they leave their house to go to work, that they might be in hell later this week? Does that matter? Do you care? Do you have a heart? Our heart has grown cold in distraction number six, verse one again. We stop praying. The gospel preached came from a man who had a heart for the lost and who actively prayed for the lost. So these two questions have been a, a great challenge to me. I, the rest of the passage was too because I see that sometimes these other things get in the way of my sharing the gospel. 
but I've been really challenged about, do I have a heart for people? And am I really praying for people? I'm not just talking about one person, but, but when you see people, do you begin praying for them, that they might come to faith in Jesus Christ, or that you might even have opportunity to share the gospel with the neighbor who you see every day, who goes to work at the same time and you go to the work, work and you always you might even hold the door for one another as you're going out, you might wave friendly. But do you pray for them? Who's, who's, who have you prayed for lately that they might come to faith in Jesus Christ? Do you, do you get how, how easy it is for, for balloons to start hitting you in the face and get you distracted from what's most important? Because the eternal destiny of the people you will see later today may very well rest in your hand and that's why people we need to get the word to the world don't let anything distract you let's bow our heads and close our eyes